Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another action-packed week of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. I'm Mr. Fantastic and we have a most fantastic lineup of sport to talk about from cricket everything that happened or well was supposed to but didn't happen which includes a test match the amazing action over the weekend from new york and of course there's a lot of formula 1 and the premier league to talk about so without further much ado let's get going and jump straight into what should have been a conversation about the fifth and final test between india and england but it's more about its cancellation nayas what what happened there i mean most of us fans are still wondering How did this get cancelled, and how are our players already in the Middle East for the IPL? Uh, well, Mr. Fantastic, I I think you've touched uh, uh, on the right uh, right button for me as far as I'm concerned because the biggest sufferer, the biggest loser in this is the cricket fan, and I'm not talking only about the English cricket fans who had paid uh, in pounds. And uh, as we know now, the Test match all five days was sold out, so there's a lot huge amount of money uh, that obviously is going to be. Uh, you know debited from anticipated income of the lancashire lancashire county uh, club where the old trafford, trafford grounded and obviously the england and wales cricket board but institutions apart it's the individual fan the paying fan guys who've traveled 2 3 hours perhaps previous evening gone and stayed there in the hotel uh, paid top money because remember that same weekend uh, there was to be a match of manchester united featuring cristiano ronaldo no less so there was a huge demand for accommodation for food you know you know how these things work everything becomes that much more expensive and it's all gone down the drain of course they will get a refund for the tickets but there's no refund for disappointment yeah so just touching back on this whole cancellation now there's a sudden surge of cases uh, within the indian camp and it's right for the team to get a little spooked and say that you know it's probably worth playing it safe rather than uh, risking some of the top players in the world but do you agree with the way it was handled on the morning half an hour will they won't they i mean here we all are i am tuned into the match waiting to hear something and we still don't know if it's happening well you know it was there was hitchcockian suspense uh, as to whether the match will be played or not and it all started kind of snowballing uh, from the fourth test onwards as you know when ravi shastri and the support staff that include bharati arun and r sridhar and vikram rathod Uh, and nalin patel they all well ravi shastri tested positive and the others because they were in close contact with him they went into isolation and therefore the the concern the worry started in the indian camp and then they moved from the oval to manchester from london to manchester in anticipation of playing the last test match uh, and then the assistant physio also tested positive and that's when i think the indian team or the indian players got spooked because I was just reading an interview of uh, uh, sort of Ganguly in the Telegraph newspaper, Kolkata's Telegraph newspaper, and he's very categorical there that it's not that the BCCI didn't want them to play; it's that the players didn't want to play. Now that you know, obviously explains why the decision perhaps came so late because the way the protocol is established, as I know it, or as been as it was played out, is that the players. they start getting tested every second day and they were testing negative so when they went to manchester they were still negative on the morning of the match also they were negative but the fear in the indian camp was that if any of them test positive and there might be a whole group of people who could suffer and if they are kept out in isolation or whatever two things could happen one is 
like could happen, which is uh, they might run short of players. You know, even if they've got an extended squad there, their playing eleven would get seriously affected. The other thing which would certainly happen if you know even two of them or one of them uh, tested positive, and if it was a senior player or a major player like uh, a Virat Kohli or a uh, uh, Jasprit Bumrah or Rohit Sharma, their participation in the IPL would become not possible. You know, it's become impossible at least for the first couple of days or couple of matches of the IPL because the protocol would be that they would have to spend ten days in isolation in England itself. Which meant that they wouldn't be able to leave England till about you know ten days after they were tested positive. Like for instance, Ravi Shastri tested positive on the fourth day, if I remember correctly, of the old Test match, and he will only come back to India on Wednesday or Thursday. You know, so as we speak, uh, so it's a good ten days that he's had to remain in isolation. Now that was the call, and that's why I think there was so much ruckus created about the IPL. So sure, the IPL was a reason. But it wasn't the only one. I think that there was. There's also fear. It's a fantastic. So the only thing I would say is why it became very irksome for everybody. And you know, you and I can count ourselves in that. Is that every day following Ravi Shastri testing positive and this this news becoming the most prominent uh, in the series or in the last week of the series was we got to hear. Okay, now everything is fine. Now the players have been spoken to. Now their tests are negative. So tomorrow it'll be, you know, they'll play. And then we heard that, oh, you know, there is still some debate or some discussion going on. So the match will start maybe after a day or maybe after two days, but it will certainly be played. And then on the morning of the match, just about two hours before toss, an hour and a half, you get the news that actually the match has been shelved. And that's when a lot of people have made their way to Manchester, to Old Trafford, trying to get in. And that kind of, you know, uh, it became a very sour situation for everybody concerned. I think the Indian players stood their ground and they said, anticipating any problem, not knowing that there is a problem, but anticipating for the worst if something happens, how it would affect their immediate travel plans, their participation in the IPL, all that became a problem. But of course, in the background, what is also being played out is the is a mighty tug of war between the BCCI and the ECB as to how to resolve this problem. You know, quite apart from the disappointment of the fans, the B- the ECB stands to lose about 30 to 40 million pounds. That's a heck of a lot of money. So that, you know, debate also crept in. First, the ECB put out a statement saying that the series has been forfeited because the Indian players refused to play. But then the BCCI put out a statement saying that match has not been forfeited. I mean, they didn't mention the word forfeit at all, but it's been shelved or postponed or cancelled for a later date, which the ECB's press release subsequently also followed. They removed the word forfeiture. But what we know as of now, as I speak, is the fate of that fifth test match is still indeterminate. It's not been decided. Was the series 2-1 in India's favour? Is it 2-2? Is that Has that match been forfeited? Or there will be a test match played next year as as is the informal understanding and that will become part of this series. Or will that be a one-off test, standalone test by itself? So there are many possibilities. What we know for sure is that the ECB has asked the ICC to intervene and help resolve this imbroglio. The imbroglio being the state of the series, one, the state of the series, and two, the financial losses that they've suffered. 
I I completely understand on the financial losses and I don't know how that will get resolved if it ever even does. But not too long ago, uh, England had done something similar when they pulled out of a South Africa to a while there, and Australia even refused to turn up. And you yourself, uh, while we were speaking previously, mentioned how the World T Twenty uh, had to be shifted out. So I think COVID fears have to be kept top of mind. And yes, I don't think the way that the Indian team management handled it was the best or even what the BCCI did was uh, the best way to handle it. But I think player safety has to be top of mind. Having said that, now that the focus is shifting to the IPL and three English players have pulled out, is that a tit-for-tat situation happening? It could be. It smells like tit-for-tat to me. I mean, remember, these guys are now the major members uh, of the England team. I mean, they're not marginal players any, any longer. Chris Wokes, Johnny Bairstow, uh, David Malan, they were all uh, part of the Test team. They're part of the ODI team. They're part of the T20 team. And they're also important members in the IPL squads that they represent. I just wanted to make a point here before we get down to the IPL, Mr. Fantastic. I think at the crux of the problem is bad planning by the ECB as well as the BCCI. Let me explain. So we all know this is a pandemic time and hurriedly itineraries are decided and, you know, they're trying to cram in fixtures wherever possible so that the sport kind of goes on and prospers, which is fine. But the Indian cricket team went to England, you know, in, in, in June. They played the World Test Championship final against New Zealand. And after that match, which incidentally India lost, as we know, and between that match and the first test against England, there was a six-week gap in which the Indian team actually was doing nothing or was supposed to do nothing, they finally kind of lobbied and got a three-day match against, uh, you know, team of county of counties or something, something like that. But the England cricket board did not want to shift the itinerary at all because they wanted to accommodate their first season of the 100, their version of the IPL in that period, six-week period. So remember... What preceded this tour in all the negotiations that were taking place, India was actually saying, the BCCI, we don't want, let's not play the fifth test. Let's only have a four-test series. But there was so much, I mean, the such was the box office value of the India-England series. And remember, the last two series was also, you know, five test matches each and they were all packed houses. So it was decided to go ahead with a five-test series, but it was kind of finishing very close to the IPL. So if anything had to go wrong, the IPL would get affected. And if the IPL gets affected, then obviously there would be some repercussions either from the BCCI or from the players or from the franchise owners or from the broadcasters, etc. And that is something that they could have kept in mind. You know, I mean, I think that, the I don't know how, but the itinerary could have been better planned. Uh, maybe they could have pulled back some dates from the 100 and allowed even the... You know, itinerary to be pulled back by three, four days, maybe we'd have seen the completion of the fifth test. But all that is now, you know, water under the bridge. So, just a quick one. Has India won the series or is it still open? It is still you know, debatable. It's still contentious. We don't know what the ICC will decide. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, England asked for a forfeiture. India denied the forfeiture. They said no. Because England's contention is that, or ECB's contention is that if it is not because of COVID, they don't get insurance. They don't get the money from the insurance company. Because here, the reason given by the Indian cricket, the, the players is their 
their apprehensions and their fears of getting COVID. But there's not one player who has tested positive. So even when the team left from England, all the players had tested negative in their last test. So the insurance company could turn around and tell ECB, guys, you know, sorry, bad luck, but we're not paying you the insurance money. So now ECB is negotiating with the BCCI. How do we get back or get that money somehow into our coffers because otherwise we are suffering a massive loss. So the BCCI is saying, hang on, we can you know, sit down and work this out. Maybe a test match next year when we are coming there for a series of ODIs and T20s or as one heard today, two extra T20 matches or maybe both, you know, a test match and T20. Now the issue is if that match is part of this series, then the series is decided next year. But if it is a one-off match, then the series is decided this year and then India wins. But for that, the ICC has to take a call. Well, anyway, just adding to the whole season of confusion, there has also been further chat whether Virat Kohli is stepping down from the T20 international captaincy. And true to form, just the way they handled the whole fifth test fiasco we've had, yes, he will, no, he won't. Uh, I think all this happens when he's on flight and someone's got a little bit of free time, isn't it? <laughs> well, from what I gather, the, the treasurer of the board, Arun Dhumal, has uh, come out with a statement today saying that it's all hogwash, that uh, they, you know the BCCI hasn't even discussed this at all. So, Virat Kohli remains the captain for all three formats, which he is actually. He's going to lead the team in, in the World T20. Uh, but what happens subsequently, we'll have to wait and see. Well, a lot of free time and very little to talk about as if. Uh, speaking of the T20 World Cup and before we move into a detailed IPL discussion, uh, what are your thoughts on MS Dhoni as a mentor? Is that even required? Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, there are two ways of looking at it. When you have a captain and a coach and a chief coach, why do you need a mentor? But, you know, it's not the first time this has happened. And I'll give you examples. Ravi Shastri first came into the team as the team director, not as the chief coach. And that time the chief coach was Duncan Fletcher. And, uh, you know, he was part of the team for almost a year as a team director. Then, of course, Duncan Fletcher's term expired and Shastri took over as the chief coach. Then a year later, he was out. Anil Kumble came in. Anil Kumble went out. Shastri came back again. If you remember, in 2019, immediately after the World Cup, Australia and England had a terrific Ashes series. 2-2 it finished. And uh, Steve Waugh was one of the guys who was mentoring the Australian team, though Justin Langer was there as the chief coach. Uh, in 2014, if I remember correctly, Rahul Ravid was there as a batting, uh, you know, kind of advisor or something when the Indian team was there. So, it's not unusual. I mean, every IPL team, almost every IPL team has a mentor. You know, Vivius Lakshman is there for uh, for the Sunrisers Hyderabad, though the coach is Tom Moody. Sachin Tendulkar is there for Mumbai Indians, though the coach is Mahila Jayavardhane. So, it's not, uh, you know, something extraordinary. At the same time, it's a very late call, you know, if you know what I mean. It's, these guys are uh, are going to be playing the IPL. So, yes, Dhoni has a chance of you know, assessing firsthand, so to speak, the form of all the players who've been, in the, who've been included in the squad. Uh, the other thing, which is a little unusual, is that Dhoni is still a current player. He's not a retired player. And therefore, this kind of contravenes the Supreme you know, Lodha Committee recommendations that you can't hold two positions in Indian cricket. You can't be a player as well as a mentor or a coach. You know, so I think that you know these are these are areas that uh, need to be either addressed 
or need to be taken cognizance of. But otherwise, a mentor being there, I think Dhoni's reputation because of his extraordinary achievements in white ball cricket uh, and the fact that Virat Kohli hasn't won any tournament, ICC tournament, there seems to be a, a feeling that if there is one more head uh, in, involved in the dugout, it might help the Indian team. Now, you know, we'll have to wait and see the result of that. But as I said, this is not, not entirely offbeat or unusual. At the same time, the timing is, you know, is very, fairly interesting. Very interesting, in fact, what's going to happen there. Because I do see potentially a clash between Dhoni's role and the coach's role. Because Dhoni being such a strong influence, uh, despite a lack of coaching credentials, uh, he would be coming there straight from the IPL having played with a lot of these, played with or against a lot of the guys who will form a part of the team. Uh, It'll definitely be an interesting uh, experiment to see how it pans out. It could also be an indicator that MS Dhoni is getting started with his coaching career. I'm just putting it out there. It could be. I mean, it could be. This could be like a, you know, maybe he'll like the job, you know, and say, okay, this is something that I want to do. And then, of course, he... But also there's a... I don't know if if it's written in the... Uh, because, you know, so many things which are written get flouted or, you know, overturned, is that there must be a gap between a player retiring and, be, and then becoming a coach or holding a position of a coach. And if I'm not mistaken, the gap is about five years. So I don't know whether it's strictly possible for Dhoni to do it. But, you know, the, these are things that these provisos can be revived or revised, I beg your pardon. The only thing which I wanted to mention here is that, and this is uh, important, that Dhoni has an excellent equation with Virat. He has an excellent equation with Ravi Shastri. And he also has an excellent equation with Rohit Sharma, who's the vice captain. So, in that sense, it could be a, a you know a, a club of four which was playing together till the 2019 World Cup. And that was part of the think tank in the 2019 World Cup is reassembled. Yeah. Well, let's hope that that eventually converts into a trophy for this team. Uh, Moving on to the IPL, the action is just a few days away. And with all of this uh, refusal by the English players to play and team construction and the teams just landing in the Middle East after having uh, played all across the world, who do you think looks strongest uh, to resume this season and lift the trophy? I think Mumbai looks the strongest, Mumbai Indians, because see, they haven't suffered any loss as such uh, in terms of players. Uh, I can't think of anybody who's not representing them. While the other teams have lost some player or the other, the major teams, Mumbai uh, and the the, 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 the all-round depth that they have in batting, bowling, the fact that they were winners last time is just all adds up to a very formidable side. And uh, yes, you can't take last season's form for granted and say, ha-ha, we did so well six months back of even four months back in India when half the IPL was played. So, we can do the same thing again. No, I think they still have to earn their title. But they look extremely strong to me, at least at this stage. Awesome. And we'll definitely have a lot of the action to speak about on our next episode, uh, since the action really kicks off this weekend. Moving on all the way across the world to New York, where heartbreak and absolute joy were visible over the weekend. Uh, Emma Raducanu, unseeded qualifier, did not drop a set and went on to become a teenage US Open champion. How amazing is that story, Ayaz? Well, absolutely. I mean, imagine one girl 18, the other 19. Whenever we had, last had such a, you know, such a 
finally. I think the last teenage champion was Martina Hingis, wasn't it? I know, but she was she was on one side of the court, isn't it? Not both sides. That you have such young players. Yeah, I think this was the first uh, first ever time when we had two teenagers in a Grand Slam final. Both unseeded that too. Exactly. So I mean, you know, you normally associate you would normally see this in the juniors, junior Wimbledon or junior U.S. Open when you have uh, this kind of a match. But here are two precocious youngsters. Uh, one of them going on just just an eighteen year old, and she's in fact, if I may, you know, I'm just been reading all the British newspapers. She seems to have kind of. Uh, created such a huge impact in her own country, which which is obvious. It's just the, the disappointment of the test match being cancelled and all the rancor that was coming out of all the sports writers about how the match was, you know, kind of scuttled uh, has all been overwhelmed, swept aside by this young lady winning the title. Absolutely. And well, on the other side of it was the immense heartbreak of Novak Djokovic. Uh, 27 matches unbeaten at Grand Slams this year. Yes, he suffered the heartbreak of the Olympics, but the way he was playing, uh, the way he made it to the finals at the US Open, it was almost a given that Daniel Medvedev is just making up the numbers, but the exact opposite played out. Did the occasion just finally get too big for him? Well, it could be. I mean, you know, you're on the, you're on the, you're playing your last match to win a, a Grand Slam. Previous time it happened was 50 years back or something, maybe 52 years back. So obviously he will be, he will be tense. He's human. Uh, he's had a great run. And then, you know, I'm not that Daniel Medvedev is, you know, he was ranked, he's ranked number two. So he's not a pushover. But one, everybody thought, I thought that uh, Dokovic would win. It didn't happen, you know. So, uh, a great run by Dokovic. You have to hand it to him for playing spectacularly, except uh, in the Olympics and here. Uh, it, it just kind of tells you that, you know, the greatest sports person is also human. Remember, Don Bradman got bowled for zero in his last innings, isn't it? I mean, otherwise, he, had he made four runs, he would have been averaging 100. So, <laughs> these are the, these are the you know, as they say, glorious uncertainties of sport. And this will be discussed for... God knows how long till somebody else wins the slam. That he came so close and then he couldn't make it. Yeah, I mean, to be very honest, if he can find the mental fortitude, he probably looks the most likely to complete it next year. Uh, he's really had one bad match in 28. So it's not like he's out of form. But you know, you know, Mr. Fantastic, I have a... Uh, and you know, if Samil is also on the show, we'll draw him in. So my question is, we've seen Federer, we've seen Nadal. And when the plateauing or the slide down starts, it, sometimes it can get very rapid. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes it's a mental thing. Imagine Bjorn Borg losing a Wimbledon final and just giving it all up to McEnroe. So, I wonder whether the new era has begun of Medvedev and some of the other youngsters and the and the, the Fab Four, but no longer the Fab Four uh, because Andy Murray suffered a, an injury and was never the same player. But the Fab Three, which is... Nadal, Federer and Dokovic. If, if this is a sign that the era, the golden era is over and maybe now you'll find, you know, the other guys coming up and winning slams and other important ATP tournaments more frequently. Well, we did call it first, you know. We called it way back in March, although subsequent predictions never came true. But we called it that it's the end of the era. So, six months late, but nevertheless, we've, we have a new Grand Slam, first time Grand Slam champion. Yeah, we'll call you the belated astrologer, Mr. Fantastic. Yeah, also uh, to all the listeners out there, this does not reflect on my fantasy team picks. So please don't correlate the two. Well, 
it was absolutely amazing weekend of sport and to top it all up uh, we obviously had formula 1 just for stappen and lewis hamilton decided to turn it into a contact sport and to tell us all about that we've got somila rora what's happening did they think they were doing bumper cars no it was a little bit stranger than that mr fantastic a little bit deeper than that it was intense competition coming to blows and you might be saying yeah okay yeah casual sounds sounds like the normal deal but no it was a very interesting circumstance where max verstappen was chasing for the win he'd come out after a slow stop at the italian gp he was 10 seconds slower in the pit lane than he normally is and he was rushing off and lewis hamilton interestingly had also come out from his pit stop again another slow one he had 4 seconds in the lane instead of 2 in the pit pit box of course and they came together at the same time eventually at turn number 1 a corner that is firstly for me nasty it's it's good for overtaking but it tightens up really badly ruins the flow of the entire circuit but they just interestingly they were not supposed to meet because hamilton was down in p number 4 verstappen was in second ideally had they not had their slow stops this wouldn't have happened but talk of a coincidence they came out side by side heading into turn number 1 lewis hamilton did not give any space to max verstappen on the entry of the corner and then verstappen gave in and went to the outside line they were nose to tail at a point then they became side by side in the middle of the corner and hamilton on the surface looked like he could have given more space but then they tangled verstappen went over a sausage curve which is a curve that really launches you over i'm not a fan but more on that later and what it did is basically launch max verstappen's car flipped up basically like like somebody doing a reverse bicycle kick of sorts in mixed martial arts something like that and the terrifying part mr fantastic and i can't believe i'm saying this lewis hamilton had max verstappen's wheel gliding on his helmet it didn't spin because verstappen was off the throttle that was very mature by him but it was on his head he made contact and i i don't need to say this so many drivers have died with Uh, had contact with the wheel so thank goodness for the halo uh, safety device that firstly uh, limited the contact and secondly made sure that hamilton was okay at the end of the day that was utterly frightening but the fact of the matter is both these uh, juggernauts of the modern day formula 1 game have made contact for the second time this year and one wonders could they have left space max verstappen could he have gone for a little bit later maybe at another corner because he seemed to be in the fastest car no because hamilton had come off from a bit of a strategic move you couldn't tell who was going to be faster in the long run that was the one chance whoever had to capitalize on it had to do it right there and nobody wanted to back out this is symbolic of this year's formula 1 world championship and it's not a moment because of which daniel ricciardo won okay i've given away the spoiler but still daniel ricciardo of mclaren won for the first time since monaco in 2018 he's been through struggles with renault been through struggles with mclaren early on but finally redemption after the race ended he said i wasn't gone i just stepped away for a little while what a poetic reading was it and well how much how long has it been since mclaren won the race oh Uh, I'll give you some context. When McLaren last won a race, I was in grade four. I I'm starting my uh, undergraduate program today, so that's been nine years. Brazil 2012. Last McLaren won two was Canada 2010. It's been a century, and and it's not like the same McLaren team. They've changed people. They've changed staff. They've changed the entire way of the way how they run things. They've changed their personality. and this young crew of mclaren feel fearless it was 
symbolized by Lando Norris going for a move down the inside of the incredibly fearsome Curva Grande on Charles Leclerc and he had a couple of wheels on the grass. Mr. Fantastic, that's 300 kilometers per hour and this young driver had his couple of wheels on the grass. I, I still can't believe it, but McLaren have done it. Daniel Ricciardo gets the win and many people are saying on the surface, yeah, but he only won because Lewis and Max crashed. No, he was leading when that crash happened. And he was leading after the pit stops as well. This is a well-earned win on merit. Another interesting thought is, if this was such a chaos scene, how did Ferrari not capitalize? Because Ferrari went slow. There's, there's, no, there's no other way to it. Wait, say that again. Ferrari was slow at home, at Monza, at the Italian GP. Wow. In, in front of thousands of T4C who came out uh, with their flags, with their flares. They were just slow. They didn't have the pace at all. Unbelievable. Two things have that have been said there. One, a Ferrari was slow. Well, we've seen that for a while. And two, it was slow at Monza. So, okay, lots of work there for Ferrari yet to do. But how does that stack up the championship race now? It nullifies it. <laughs> Nothing's changed in a way because Verstappen, he only got a couple of points from the F1 sprint race. Verstappen, uh, he's still leading, but not by much. And the fact is, what this does is really opens up the game for the sport because there's no clear winner from it. There's no clear loser from it. They stay as they are, but it only elevates the tension, Mr. Fantastic. And I can't wait for the rest of the season. Amazing. And how many races yet uh, remain in the season? Ideally, around 9 or 10. It could be less as well because a few cancellations could be on the way. So yeah, ideally around 8 or 9. Well, still quite a bit of time left there for a lot yet to change. And we've all seen how quickly that changes. Speaking of change and moving over to the old blighty, we've got Cristiano Ronaldo back in a red jersey. Yes, we spoke a lot about that. But to actually see that live in action was quite something. I'll admit I'm not a Manchester United fan, as I've mentioned on multiple occasions in the past. But it's always good to see something momentous like this happening now. A part of me kind of expected him to crash and burn because, well, he is a little old now. But at the same time, a part of me also wanted him to score and good God did he. What a comeback. And you, my dear friend Somil, as a Manchester United fan, must have enjoyed that weekend game. I, I wish I could have watched it live. I, I watched a part of it, but th this, this is not about me. It's about Cristiano Ronaldo and the atmosphere. I left work to listen to the sounds and it was fantastic. Watching the fan cams as well, Mr. Fantastic, after the first goal, the entire stadium said, Sue Ronaldo's tagline, right as he said it. 70,000 people live as it happens. Tremendous. Peter Drury said it was meant to be. Who else could have gone there and done what he did? It's almost poetic. It's almost poetic. Winning 4-1 against Newcastle on... Uh, let's look at it objectively. United should be winning these games. It's no big deal. It's just made special by the fact that the old hero has returned and he scored two goals. But it shouldn't take away from Bruno Fernandes also scoring an amazing long shot goal. So this United team is firing. But being, being a really honest United critic, I think we shouldn't even have left one goal now. So that's a bit of a problem. A clean sheet against Newcastle should have been expected in a way. That's not called being a real United fan. That's just called being greedy. Yeah, you don't win the league by letting one goal past Newcastle. It's not much, but just, just being honest. Well, 
On the other side of it, you also had Manchester City travel to Leicester and come away with an away win. Yes, but they only scored the one. And you kind of expected them to do much more damage. Uh, That didn't happen. And I don't see too many of those fans complaining. So, you know what? Take what you got. Indeed, yeah. Uh, That was good from Manchester City. Yeah. And in, in news that should really matter, Liverpool did blank out Leeds. What a fantastic performance that was, wasn't it? That's because you're saying it. <laughs> uh, uh, no, honestly, it was. But there's a bit of a problem. One of their trusted players, uh, the right midfielder, he's injured. And it's not just any right midfielder. It's Harvey Elliott, the young girl who's always blazing around the pitch. He could take a while off. That, that angle injury looks nasty. Absolutely. I mean, um, look... You know, uh, Liverpool, sorry, have faced this a couple of years ago with Virgil van Dijk's injury and he kind of missed the rest of the season. Took him a long time to get back and credit to Liverpool for giving him that time and he's just returned this season. And here we are with another defender suffering this. Should there be stronger penalties or punishments given? Everyone understands that it happened in the flow of the game. No one intends to injure a player so badly. But there has to be something done to completely discourage these sort of challenges. Uh, What Jordan Pickford did to Virgil van Dijk was ghastly. And what happened over the weekend again was equally bad. I mean, when a player can't move off the pitch, you know it is serious. It is. I think aggression runs wild in defenders, Mr. Fantastic. We saw something similar in the Spurs game as well, where things could have been really nasty. Absolutely. I mean, it's for the Premier League and I know there's a lot of fans for and against, especially when it happens to one of your players. Teams are going to say that, hey, you need to get stronger. But Leeds will say he was just doing his job and it's unfortunate he didn't intend for it to happen. Uh, But something needs to happen there. Uh, Speaking of some of the other great performances, uh, we've got a completely rejuvenated Romelu Lukaku taking Chelsea, uh, carrying them really on his shoulders, isn't he? He's looking unbelievably good. He has scored a double this past weekend. Uh, Peter Drury said Ronaldo and Manchester United and those goals were meant to be. Gary Neville said Lukaku delivering for Chelsea was meant to be. Of course, he just fits in so well. They beat Aston Villa 3-0 at home easily. And it was the Lukaku show all the way around. Well, um, among other interesting news, Spurs lost to Crystal Palace. Uh, They also had a red card. And it... It's looking a little wonky. I mean, they were three matches unbeaten, but all one nil wins never looked really convincing. The whole Harry Kane saga, now he's back. Uh, I don't think they're a settled unit here, are they? They're not. And this win was clear. So, normally when Crystal Palace beats somebody 3-0, you think it's Burnley, maybe you think it's Brighton. But no, they beat Spurs 3-0 Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace have come off a transfer window of great recruitment when the club has transformed. They've seen young players come in for very, very reasonable sums. They feel like West Ham of last year. And I'll give you a bit of context on how they won. Crystal Palace, 18 shots. Tottenham Hotspur, 2 Two shots the entire game, with only one of them being on target. Crystal Palace ran rings around Spurs. I was watching the match highlights earlier this morning, Mr. Fantastic, and Spurs never had a chance, not once. The red card came in late. Of course, there was a bit of an interesting moment where one of the Spurs players went down. Crystal Palace did what Manchester United did a couple of weeks ago and continued playing. And Tanganga, the defender for Spurs, just really shoved, literally shoved Wilfried Zaha in, got a yellow card for that. And I think the red mist just got onto him because a few moments later, he went on and put a very reckless challenge, the one I sort of referred to early on when we were speaking of Harvey Elliott, and got another yellow card. Spurs were down and then came the three Crystal Palace goals. 
So it was inevitable. It just took that one spark to come in for Crystal Palace to capitalize on that. As I mentioned, they really could be like West Ham last year. Absolutely. And well, probably the biggest news coming out of the Premier League is how high Arsenal have risen. After starting the season in 20th, they have now elevated themselves out of relegation with their first win and absolutely fantastic goal. Uh, Do you think they're on their way up finally? Yeah. Mikel Arteta, tactical genius. He is the smartest manager because Arsenal have lifted up lifting themselves up four positions in just one week. See, that is how you concentrate your efforts. Jokes aside, uh, unconvincing, to be honest. Uh, they won against Norwich. They had a lot more shots. But just to see one goal out of 20-odd shots, that's not that's not going to work in the long run. I think they're still not anywhere close to the top six this year. Mr. Fantastic, sadly. We, we need Arsenal to be good, honestly. Not really. I'll be happy if the West Ham team can continue their performance from last year, st- stay in the top five. I mean, they are... Uh, looking good again under David Moyes. But, uh, well, Arsenal will eventually rise up. They're not going to languish in the bottom half for very long. It's a question of how long Mikel Arteta hangs around Arsenal going forward. Their problems are far deeper than Arteta, to be honest. Even if he goes away, there's a lot that needs to change. But maybe that's a that's something for another episode, to be honest. Well, hello, 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 Mr. Fantastic. Before you sign off, let me bring in Somil and you again. Because we've had Jehan Daruwala uh, winning the F2 uh, in, in Monza. So, uh, how big is this, Samil? Can you just let us know? Very, very big. Formula 2, as the name suggests, is the step below Formula 1. Now, let me build this up. Let me tell you how significant this is because this series, firstly, very costly. I'm talking about eight, nine figures right here, instantly. Secondly, very talented. These are all the drivers who are hyper-athletes, maybe as fit as all the cricketers you see on the IPL right now. That This is incredible, the way they're physically uh, chiseled out, the way they are sharpening their skills, the way they're mentally strong. For Jehan to take his second F2 win at a circuit like Monza that's so demanding for a driver is stunning. He looked like a class act all the way through. And this is his first win of the season. Jehan usually starts a bit slow in the championship, so the first half wasn't that great. But now you get a feeling there could be more. There could be a chance for him potentially to finish somewhere in the top five of the Formula 2 championship, which will be tremendous considering how competitive it is. He's a Red Bull Racing junior, by the way, which is a bit sad because all four Red Bull seats are blocked off for 2022. But you never know. You keep on putting performances like this one and you never know where the doors could open up for you. This is significant. Well... Uh, that's it from us this week. Lots more action to chat about when we come back next week, uh, including the start or the restart rather of the IPL, the continuation of the Premier League and everything else from around the world of sport. You've been great listeners. Keep tuning in and we'll be back next week. See you. See you.